0: Welcome back to another episode of Rebel with a Cause. I am your host, Eric, and tonight joining me is Jacob Lindsay from uh, Tasting Anarchy and the at Childerberg account on Twitter. How's it going, buddy?
1: It's going real well. How are you?
0: Uh, Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. So um, I listened uh, to the rest of the episode that we all did with uh, Shane for his birthday. Oh, yeah. And I I couldn't help but notice that car was basically shutting down everything you were trying to say.
1: Oh, was he. <laughs> yeah, so like,
0: yeah. You were like bringing up, uh, you know, ghost hunting and uh, you know, writing better sci-fi and everything. And he was just like, "Yeah, yeah I'm not going to do any of that." <laughs> I,
1: I do. I have the. I have this tendency to, uh, I guess, dominate. Like, it's something I try to work on, but I, I, I do have a tendency to just like, when I'm a guest on a lot of shows, is to if I if I see like a lull in the conversation, just to like dominate and come in and be like, there can be no silence and (laughs) and just like interject my own topics.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Dead air is the enemy of the people. So, right. (laughs) And that's not, not that hard for you to uh, dominate anything because at at Childerberg, I was like, you know, one of the tall dudes and even you were kind of towering over me a little bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I am tall and, and I have, you know, as far as like interests go, like I have a very, very wide range of interests. Yeah. And so, I've got something I want to talk about all the time and I can, and I can switch it up. Like I can talk about lots of stuff. I mean, most of the time it's, you know, I got a show, it's wine and liberty, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm interested in all sorts. Like you said, I, I like, I'm interested in the ghost stuff. I don't really necessarily have like a lot of experience with it, but I do have uh, some like what people I guess would describe as like woo woo interests and experiences. And then I, like but I also have like, you know, mechanical interests and, uh, I'm, you know, I, I just ordered a new dog. So I'm like super excited about dogs right now <laughs> and, and making this one trained a little better than my old one <laughs> and like that. So like, it's just, it's, you know, sci-fi, same thing as what you were saying. Like, I, I like sci-fi a lot. And so it's just lots of stuff that I'm interested in.
0: Yeah. I always like to, um, like to get into stuff, but I always want to uh, do it from like a Liberty angle. And, uh, that that's probably been beat to death already. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned, all, like all the science fiction that I read or that I watch they, they'll like touch on some kind of libertarian topic and then immediately run away from it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, I'm going to get close to the edge, but nope, nope. That's a little bit too far.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are, uh, I think sci-fi does tend to lend itself toward, um, being anti-authoritarian in a lot of ways or, or showing authoritarian as a dystopian. Right. Uh, and I mean, you, you, even with like Star Trek, where they're basically, they're space commies, um, there, there's <laughs> yeah, like, a lot of that, a lot of that is sort of, they kind of go in and they're like, yeah, these are, but then like when you get into some of the other series, you start seeing like, oh, well there's, there are some, the dark side kind of, of the Federation and, and that government is in a lot of ways totalitarian, depending on who you are and where you are in the, in the, for lack of a better way of putting it, the the empires, the Federation. So
0: Yeah. And uh, the only libertarian character being mud <laughs> <So that's
1: laughs> right. series.
0: He was always doing something.
1: Yeah. He was always being, being sly. Yeah. But in, in deep space nine, you got some kind of more libertarian characters who were just kind of, and then you had like rebels and stuff like that, which, you know, the uh, Maquis and deep space nine were these people who lived on the border of two empires. Right. And, and they were all settlers. So some of them were settlers from the Cardassian empire. Some of them were settlers from the, the federation which is basically the earth empire right. and and they were like look we don't want to be under either one of your guys' rule and you keep trading systems like like it's like these are like i mean it was is very reminiscent and I'm, I'm sure it was inspired by this it's very world war one reminiscent where it's like uh well we'll give you these territories and you give us these territories and and then that's how we'll achieve peace but the people that live in those territories are kind of like well, we don't want to be we don't want to be under the Cardassians, and and vice versa. The Cardassians don't want to be under the Federation, so they start their own kind of re- rebel groups to try to gain independence.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're right. There's probably a lot of that uh, kind of inspired from you know the events of World War One and mm-hmm. kind of leading up to World War Two, because you know Germany had you know, Germans living in Czechoslovakia and Poland and just kind of all over the place because it was a leftover of the Austria-Hungary Empire.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and a lot of that, and also if you, if you get into like some of the, not, not secret history or whatever, but the, not the stuff that they teach us in government school, there, there was a lot of times when the Germans, they recognized that they were on the losing side, right, and they offered terms. But at that point, so many people had died, the British and French and, and some of the other uh, powers, this was before the United States entered, um, were like, well, we don't want our people to realize that this was all over territories in Africa.
0: Yeah, yeah. That and, was also the colonial aspect of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so Germany was like, just tell us your terms and we'll give up. And. Britain was like, no, nah, we don't, we don't, we'll just hang out at the stalemate for a while. And, you know, and, the, and when you, when you see the German side of that war, like they are incredible because they were basically fighting that, that war on their own. They were, they were running around trying to get the Austrians to do stuff. And the Austrians were like picking their noses and uh, being like, we're going to do this or, or whatever. And like it was something stupid. And they were like, well, let's put this royal guy. But I mean, it was a lot of it though, was it was that Germans understood the industrialization of war. Whereas yeah. like the Austrians still kind of thought of it as like what was going on in the 1700s where there wasn't really an industrialized war. It was kind of like people running around doing, doing stuff and being heroes. And that's what they wanted to do. And then you had the Ottomans who were like running around on horses with swords still. And the British were there with automatic weapons just mowing them down. Yeah. And, and like the Germans are like, dang it, How are we stuck with these people? And they're running around and they're kind of commanding all aspects of the war and doing a great job doing it. And until the, until the Americans entered, they probably could have arrived at a amicable peace and it would have avoided world war two. But yeah. I mean, we obviously hindsight's 2020. 20, we don't know.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very possible. It was like um, when he said, uh, you know, soldiers on horseback uh, there was, there was this uh, one Polish officer who was on horseback and uh, some, uh, some of the troops were retreating and he goes, well, where's the safest place to hide? And he goes behind me. And you know, he's just one guy on a horseback with a saber.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a, it's a weird war to look at, but it's super interesting.
0: Yeah. It was uh you know, that was the first time we had tanks and then the, yeah. uh, the overuse of chemical weapons like mustard gas and um, you know, basically uh, chlorine and everything else that they were trying to just throw out on battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Was, well, and there was just the, the population explosion in Europe at the time too, through from industrialization Uh, There was like just these huge populations. So you had people dying on mass and I mean, bigger than anybody ever seen. And like the very first battle of world war one, the Germans were marching in on, on these Belgians and the Belgians were like, yeah, we're going to lose, but we have automatic weapons and we're in a bunker. And right now nobody has bunker busting technology. And they just mowed down Germans as they marched forward. Yeah. And the only way that the Germans got cover was that the stack of bodies got so high that they were able to hide behind that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like these, like the visuals of this and like, you imagine like the mud and being in these trenches for that amount of time. It's, it's horrific. And this is, and this is what launches the 20th century that is just, was just continual war for nearly a hundred years. Yeah.
0: And you can't really count on air cover because at that time it was a biplane with canvas wings,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, and it's, the guy's like yeah. literally
0: just dropping a grenade <laughs> on something, <laughs>
1: right? Right? Yeah.
0: So yeah, it was like uh, yeah, we're gonna get a machine gun. It may or may not be timed with the propeller, so the guy could be chewing up his own propeller, not really knowing it.
1: Right. Right.
0: <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. It was a. Uh, it was all kinds of uh, horrific. It just even some of the black and white pictures you have to kind of uh you know throw your imagination into what the color was like and it was like uh,
1: yeah. yeah that that's well the uh, the dude uh the dude who who uh did lord of the rings he recently did a colorized world war one documentary that's supposed to be pretty good i haven't seen it yet
0: oh yeah peter jackson yeah yeah, he, jackson, yeah, yeah. world war one and he like colorized it and yeah uh they, the weta digital team kind of went in there and um gave some of those old uh, film footage, a little bit of uh, 3d depth to it.
1: Yeah. It kinda, yeah.
0: Yeah. The footage kind of stand out a little bit. It was a, it was really neat. Uh, I think on YouTube, you can probably find like a behind the scenes process of what they were doing there.
1: Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's amazing that they've got that sort of stuff, but you know, we have, you know, kind of to, to redirect this to the Liberty side, we have a lot of, of, Good liber- uh, like libertarian writers and stuff that were alive during that time and were very much influenced by that. I mean, in particular, Ludwig von Mises, yeah. who was in the military. I think he was a, uh, I think he was part of uh, a, um, what are those gigantic cannons that shoot that shoot them really far? What are those called? Oh, that's just artillery. Artillery. Yes, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah, those, I think he was in like an alt- artillery like group.
0: Yeah, and that was uh, back in the day where you also got um, issued a sword.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The same position got overrun. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean, like, yeah, a lot of people are influenced by that. You had um, you had a Rose Wilder Lane who was writing at that time, or I think a little bit after that time, but around that time was and was impacted by that war. Uh, I th- actually I think Ayn Rand was was around and and was also impacted by that, but from the, on the Russian side.
0: Yeah. Um J.R.R. Tolkien uh took a lot of inspiration from World War One when he served. And in fact in the in the book when they're talking about the dead marshes and seeing the faces in the water, mm-hmm. uh someone had actually said, Yeah, we had walked across this field in Belgium and you know it's kind of marshy. And uh when you're walking by, yeah, there would be like a dead soldier like just under the surface of the water, and that's kind of where yeah. they got a little bit of that visual from.
1: Yeah. Well, and he, and he, in his later days became an anarchist or, or wrote about it when he was in his uh, letters to his son.
0: Yeah. They're, yeah. they're
1: talking about it a little bit and, and same with CS Lewis to a lesser degree was they were contemporaries and they were friends and yeah. sort of the same, same sort of thing where they were just, they were so impacted by a lot of the stuff that was going on by the emperor empire expansions and the dying of the older empires and, you know, basically the arriving of America on the scene yeah. that they kind of went, yeah, we, we sort of see this as a sham.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's even a, a part in the Silmarillion uh, that Tolkien wrote as kind of like the uh, the Middle Earth creation story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was even talking about like a sect of elves that uh, you know called nobody master. They didn't you know they were kind of like their own anarchist commune.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, I, it's been I mean it's been years and years since I've read the Silmarillion. Yeah, I don't
0: remember that. You read some of that stuff and you're like, oh. Yeah, I, I kind of get where he's. I get where he's coming yeah. from.
1: I, I mean, I think I think it's kind of an it's it's a natural place for people to go. Even I mean, if they if they are intellectual and consistent with their thinking, yeah, is, is eventually they'll get there. And I, I mean, you you see even on even like left anarchists and stuff like that. It as they get older, as they start thinking about it, and even if they're younger or whatever, they they kind of go. I see kind of where this is going. they'll come up with all sorts of tricks and stuff like that to be like, Oh, well, this is not, not a state or whatever. I mean, you've got like people like Noam Chomsky who is a, is, is basically a commie, but he is a left anarchist. He he believes that, you know, this, this utopia kind of will, will be achieved through whatever his leftism believes. But you know, he does see a lot of it. There's a lot of things though, in his writings where he's like, well, I choose not to see this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, I think that people do get there on their own eventually. Like even my, like my, my parents are getting older and they're starting to kind of go like, uh, they're like, yeah, this is all kind of bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Especially when they, um, you know, after you've been an adult long enough and you start, you know, having to do the, uh, the government paperwork for the, for the taxes and everything. Yeah. And it constantly changes and nobody really knows, you know, what form to fill out for what. And, uh, yeah. Like, man, can't they just like do this all on a postcard? You know, at least they'll get
1: that point. <laughs> yeah, but, I, d- I developed uh, tax software for nine years. That was that was part of that was one of my jobs. It's it's a nightmare. It's 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 absolutely insane.
0: Yeah. Anytime I have to deal with like TurboTax or uh the H and R block software, I'm like going, Oh, I really feel sorry for the uh for the coders on this one because yeah. there's just way too much stuff to keep up with.
1: Well what what it was always difficult because I had to call all the states and get specs and all that sort of stuff, but when it became additionally difficult was when they introduced the ACA and the ACA programming was a nightmare because yeah. there was there was all sorts of different paths you could go down you could do these weird hybrid paths, you had these look back periods because i did I did uh, employer side tax development, so it was whatever the employer has to do that was the side of the software that I was working on, and yeah. it was i mean it was it's crazy how many Contingencies there are, and 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 the IRS does this pretty frequently. They did it multiple times when I was was doing that kind of work, and they'll just be like, "We want this," (laughs) but there's no guidelines at all. So it's kind of like up to your own interpretation to like be like, "Okay, well, I guess this is in compliance," and then later on, they decide if you're in compliance or not. Oh man! (laughs) And for I think it was almost three years it took them to decide what was in compliance for the ACA. It was it was nuts.
0: Yeah, I, I. And even writing it just for the employer side, which has got to be, you know, at least 10 times more complicated than the end user itself. You know, they're just the private person trying to do their taxes.
1: Yeah. You're keeping track of a lot of employees. You have to to monitor their hours to decide if they're full-time or not full-time. And then you have to like add them up and do average houring and things like that to decide who's full-time, who's full-time equivalent and what the companies, do they have more than 50 employees, less than 50 employees? And is it their average, if they have, if they have a hundred employees, let's say, and they're, and fifty percent of them are part time. Yeah, uh, what are like, what is the average hours? And if the average hours equal out more than the minimum thirty hours, which they consider thirty hours full time in ACA, if it's more than thirty hours, then it's like, okay, yeah, you're you're not in compliance if you don't offer health insurance. But then, like, the minimum plan you offer is basically garbage. But that's part of being in compliance. And they don't have to take it; you just have to offer it. Because if you offer the plan. And then they go to the market and they take a different plan. Then they get penalized. But if you don't offer the plan and they go to the market and take the plan, then you get penalized. Yeah, it's like it's just this whole, this whole whole crazy thing. And there's so much tracking, and you have to do it it month by month. Um, Well, there's other options as well, but month by month is a common one. And then you have to kind of like, were they full time for this number of months? And then you have to look back in time and go like, well, how? and, And what was funny about it too is that. It wasn't funny about it, but it was like they they handed down these edicts. And prior to this law, if you were a salaried employee, they just didn't track your hours a lot of times because right. it's, it's additional data you have to write. It's more expensive to write that much data and uh, and store the data. I mean, you, this is this is this is one line or more multiple lines depending on how your database is set up per customer and so or per employee. And so if you're writing all these lines, then it's per pay period you have a line written to store the hours for that week so this ends up being this inflated amount of data that makes the system slower depending on how how you have it set up and so most people would just go like yeah we're just not going to store that because we don't want the additional cost of storing the data well then the government comes in and they're like oh remember how you weren't doing that well we need you to do that but we need you to do it for the for 12 months ago when you weren't doing it the and then we also need you to continue doing this forward, and we need you to hire a full-time employee who's an expert on this. Every, everybody that was another thing. Everybody was required to have a full-time expert for the Affordable Care Act on staff. Yeah, so they either had to hire a new person or somebody had to like decide they were an expert yeah. <laughs> nobody nobody was because nobody knew how it worked.
0: Yeah, and I, I dare say that even the uh, the IRS folks that had this uh, get all that stuff implemented, they probably didn't even know the ends of. Oh yeah well, no, they, had,
1: they had no idea I mean we we spoke with a bunch of them in conferences and stuff like that where the IRS was like look the administration handed this down this is the law you have to comply we're working on what compliance means but do it
0: <laughs> yeah and
1: it. You're, it. Yeah, you're like what <laughs> what does compliance mean there Just just do it just do the best you can just do it <laughs> start just submit something
0: yeah. so and put it put it to us and then we'll decide whether or not it's good or not
1: yeah, yeah, oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts. And they did have a couple of years that were grace periods where, as long as you filed something, yeah, they would, they would say, yeah, you're good. <laughs> so and like they were, all, it was supposed to be one year, and I think it ended up being like three years of grace periods. So because nobody could figure it out.
0: <laughs> oh man, and and uh, I remember the uh, the website had like crashed a whole bunch after that. <laughs>
1: That's right, yeah, yeah,
0: and they like spent millions of dollars on it. And then yeah. uh, I want to say there was like some private web developer who kind of came up with like a, like a slice of it and just said, look, I, I could have created this on the cheap and it works.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's usually what happens though with government contracts is that, you know, I mean, this this happened for years with the IRS, uh, uh the federal income filing for, uh, employers is that you're supposed to submit this federal income filing by a certain time and, ev- and like notoriously, we would always have to be ready to print and and mail in paper because their site crashed so often. Oh God. And, and there, there's were several years we had print paper and send it in. And when you're talking about printing these forms, you're talking about like hundreds and hundreds of reams of paper that is just individual filings for individual employees. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: Uh, uh, you know, kind of bring it back to world war one. I, (laughs) I would rather walk through a World War I minefield, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's yeah, there, exactly.
0: I might only lose a leg, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, like, fortunately, I got married, and my wife was like, you hate this job. Why are you still there nine years later? And I was like, you're right. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: yeah, the, uh, the wife sometimes is the unlikely voice of reason in most cases.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, you know yeah. the job? Just quit it. Just, you know.
1: Yeah, and you're like, well, I can't quit it. I need the money. And, you know, like, you'll find another job. You're pretty cool. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, I need the job. And then she's like, no. Yeah, huh, seriously. You're you'll good. So then I like started looking around, and then like other people were like, "Yeah, you are good. Let's. We want to hire you." So I got multiple job offers here in Texas. I was living in Virginia at the time, and I was like, "Huh. I could have looked years ago, and I would have gotten a job that I liked better."
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple of years of stress.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of going through the same boat right now. So it's uh, you know, I just resigned my position. So now I'm looking, and you know. I think Louisiana is kind of tapped out. So Texas is looking a little more and more appealing every day.
1: I mean, you got a, you got a Liberty community here in the DFW. It's yep. a nice area. I like it. I like it here a lot.
0: Yeah. Dallas uh, is always been kind of nice. Fort Worth is a little more laid back. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Austin just seems like it's way too far away from everything.
1: <laughs> well, like, when, you no, know, the
0: city itself is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. The city, is, it is pretty cool. And you know, my my people, the Californians, so apparently have been moving to Austin and Drove, so it's becoming basically like mini California, which yeah, it's unfortunate. But uh well, it wouldn't be unfortunate if it was like the cool Californians from like Northern California who were mm-hmm. like, Leave us alone. But it's but it's not, it's like the commie Californians from like San Francisco and LA. So Yeah.
0: I thought yeah, all the big city ones. Not and you can probably throw San Diego in the list of cool Californians.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually it's San Diego's not too bad. Yeah.
0: San Diego, I actually kind of like it. It's uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of those places where they got just about everything, you know, the same thing as Los Angeles, you know, minus all of the, the weird, you know, homeless yeah. people that are just going to fill up the streets everywhere. <laughs> well,
1: it's, it's a big military town. I think, you know, as much as, you know, libertarians a lot of times are very negative on the military and stuff like that. They're they're It's, it's odd because there is a libertarian streak in a lot of military people. Yeah. And now, a lot of times they're kind of like they they have their blinders on when it comes to like war and that sort of thing. But a lot of those who do go to war and then come back, they're kind of they start going like, "Huh, this is not not what I expected." And I, and I know a lot of people in my family and stuff that they joined the military. Po- well, some of them pre pre nine eleven, some of them post nine eleven, and they and they got there and at first they were like. Yeah, we need to do this. We need to go get the terrorists over there before they come and get us here. And then, and then it became 2008, and then it became 2012, and then yeah. it became 2016, and now it's now we're still there. And they're kind of going like, "This is not what I thought."
0: Yeah, especially when uh, the next recruit that's going to come and uh, you know relieve you of your position, you know, was born in 2000. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And where they're like, they're little kids and, or they were, they were not even born or they were just born. And now they're adults.
0: Yeah. I even uh, saw one story where a guy who was in his, um, in his uh, it was like in mid thirties and he was about ready to get out of the military. His son came <laughs> to be part of the next unit that was going to take over for his.
1: Wow, yeah. You know, that's crazy. His son. Yeah. It was that's, now 19, you know? <laughs> yeah. So guess, you know, I, I almost went into the military when I was a lot younger because my dad's uh, still active duty actually. And I was like, Oh, this will be a good thing or whatever. And he didn't say no exactly. He was like, this would be good, but don't go into foreign combat, go into like the coast guard. (laughs) And, and I was like, huh, like that kind of was one thing. So like, I think that was like his early, like his early, like this is not good for my kids kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah, when I when I joined in nineteen ninety eight, it was basically to get out of a small town and I believed all of the uh, the recruiters' lies. Yeah. So yeah. Now
1: well,
0: I, I was yeah. only in there for about five months and twenty two days and you know, got my hernia and I was like, Oh, well, thank God now I can get out of it.
1: <laughs> well I I got I got somebody's sort of similar story where they, they enlisted and it wasn't what they thought and then they got hurt. Yeah. And they were like, Well, maybe being hurt's a blessing in disguise. Right. And and they took early early discharge, so But then you got people like my dad who, you know, broken both shoulders and both knees and have Mm -hmm. now metal like titanium shoulders and knees, but, and he's been active duty for since the eighties. And he's still active duty. So.
0: Man. Talk about lifer. Ooh. Mm -hmm.
1: He likes it. I mean, his his job now is mostly a desk job, but he he likes being in there's, I think it kind of, you become, I wouldn't say institutionalized exactly, but like he, this is the job that he knows. And he, I mean, it's like being a programmer. It's like, I wouldn't go tomorrow and become like a auto mechanic or something like that. Yeah. Like I
0: drastically different.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, like I could probably do it. Like, I mean, you and I were probably, we're smart enough guys that we could probably learn another trade, but, but you have to learn it. You got to start at the low end of the totem pole. And I'm already at like the higher end of the totem pole as a developer. So when I, if I look for other jobs, I'm looking at stuff that I know.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and I kind of did the same thing, you know, in uh, 2011, I was kind of tired of answering the phones and being a tech support rep. Yeah. Like, All right, well, let me go get into a school and go learn something. And then, you know, decided I was going to go become a drafter. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that took two years. And then after that, you know, it was off to the races and just changed,
1: you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The, the two are not, you know, simpatico as far as career paths, but, you know, they're, they're similar enough.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly
0: yeah um, but yeah the uh so ghost stories i mean okay. is it uh like ghost hunting itself that you're interested in or do you have like experiences with ghosts
1: i have one ghost story I, and i told it on and i think i probably like pumped it up a little bit on childerberg or on uh on childerberg On tasting anarchy we did like a halloween episode oh nice where i did like my ghost story i have one and it's not even really a very it's not a it's not a great ghost story it was just kind of weird. But that's not really what got me interested in ghost stories. Like I'll, I'll recount it real quick because okay. it's, pretty short, it's a pretty short story. So when I was real little, like maybe seven or eight years old, my, uh, my aunt lived up in the mountains in California and we would go up and visit her. It's about an hour, hour north of where we lived, which is about 45 minutes away from Sacramento. So we went up in the mountains. We were going to go see her. It's a place called Grizzly Flats and you get off, you get off the main highway and it's just all these winding roads going up in the mountains and you cross over a lot of, they're two lane bridges, but they're narrow enough that they probably shouldn't be two lane bridges. So people have to kind of wait and let each other go across. Right. And this is like the, this is the mid nineties, maybe 96. It might even have been earlier. It might've been like 94, 95. And, um, so we're, we're going, we went up and then we, when we came back, uh, it was still light outside. Cause my mom didn't like driving up there at night. And when we came back, we found this like old lady had crashed her, old it was like a buick or cadillac some sort of like big old boat car had crashed it on one of these bridges and she was she she was okay like my mom got out of the car and went and talked to her and and was like are you all right and she's like yeah i'm okay but the wheel has broken off of my car i'm not going to be able to move it and we could get around her it was enough it was enough space that we could get around and so my mom said uh stay with your car um, I'll drive up the road to, so it was, the roads were real narrow. So you couldn't really like turn around. You had to get to one of the places that had sort of those pool offs so that you could turn around. Right. And so she's like, there's a pool off up here. I can pull off, turn around, come back and we'll get you. And we'll bring you back up to town because the town of Grizzly flats was, you know, a couple miles up the road or something. And while my mom and her are talking, this, this other dude comes by with his big old truck and, uh, you know, four by four or whatever. And he, he gets out and he's says, uh, Oh yeah, you know I'll 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 go I'll get her as uh, she can ride with me and you follow her because he wasn't comfortable with this old lady riding with him alone. And my mom just leaving, mm-hmm. and, and you know this is before cell phones and all that sort of stuff. So he was like, "Yeah, it's not like if something happens, I don't want I don't want to be liable." Right. So so we both decided to go up and turn around this thing, and so we both did. And my mom, you know, was first, so she turned around, then he turned around. When we came back, the car was gone, the old lady was gone. There was no debris on the bridge. It was just. Like, nothing had happened. Wow, oh, weird. It, it was bizarre. And, and my mom, you know, spent the rest of the evening, even while it was so light out, and then into the dark, trying to drive up and down this road, trying to figure out if the lady maybe got in her car and tried to hobble up the road and it had pulled off or something like that. And we just, we couldn't find her. That was like, that's our one ghost story that was like, I don't know if it's a ghost story exactly. It was just weird because the dude in the truck was freaked out. He's like, <laughs> this, this is impossible. The wheel was off her car. She couldn't have driven off.
0: Yeah. It, it either yeah. that or she fell off the bridge, you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was, I mean, you know, it was. I, I not that. Yeah. Yeah. You you'd think you'd notice now in, in recent years because we always talk about this story in my family, we went back up to the bridge to look around. Right. And there is a house that is off to the side and it's down the cliff. So you can't really see it from the road. Hmm. And, and what we were thinking is possibly she somehow got her car off and down that guy's driveway. Hmm. But there was, but there was no debris or anything like that. And it was like, the turnoff was only like five minutes up the road. So it was like a weird, yeah. sort of really weird situation, but we know the area pretty well. And we are like, there must have, you know, and my family's not prone to believing in ghosts. We like to talk about ghosts, but we just don't really, <laughs> it's not really. <laughs> yeah. But the But the thing that started the conversation on Shane's birthday was, I the ghost shows for some reason I have like an odd obsession with them, but I hate them.
0: <laughs> yeah, same here. And
1: yeah, there's they're so frustrating when I'm watching them. And I'm like, you are not doing ghost hunting correctly. I could do the ghost hunting way better than this, and I could actually determine if a place is haunted or not. Whereas, you guys are running around, shaking your cameras, picking up weird EVPs and stuff like that. So, I came up with this idea to do a ghost show that would engage the internet and it would still have the celebrity aspect where like people are running around and being scared and stuff like that because that's what sells. That's what sells the show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. People, you know, running and screaming, what touched me? You know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what you do is you set up, you set up a system of cameras in a haunted location for an extended period of time, like three months. Right. And during that time, each camera has two other cameras that see it and you set them up in like a matrix so that each one, has two other cameras. So each camera has two cameras looking at it and each one of those cameras has the other camera looking at it plus one other camera.
0: Yeah. So So kind of like a Panopticon type thing with the camera system.
1: Exactly. So that you, you make sure that you have multiple angles of everything that's going on. You hook the cameras up with the EVPs and the night vision and the infrared and all those types of things. And that's how you determine or that's how you have a constant recording going on. And then you send in internet celebrities because that's what's big right now Yeah, and allow them to run around with their handheld camcorders or whatever and be scared and stuff. And that's, that's, that's where you make the money yeah. is, 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 you know, you get, I, I, I pointed out, you remember that guy who was at the bagel place that got all mad that women were <laughs> laughing at him and stuff.
0: Yeah. The bagel boss. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Bagel boss. Yeah. I kept calling him bagel shrimp. I couldn't remember what his name that, was.
0: That name fits too.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was like, so bagel shrimp, I, I was like, you get bagel shrimp to go in there and be afraid of ghosts and stuff like that. And he, and it, you know, he'll make his own ghosts. It'll probably be some lady who's laughing at him or something like that. And it'll be interesting for one, because you'll, because right. I think what pe- people get scared of is, is what they subconsciously are afraid of. So like that aspect of it will be really interesting. Um, cause I mean like when I go out in the dark and stuff like that, there's stuff I'm afraid of sometimes. Yeah. So Like and I know it, like and I have this like weird personality where I'm like I I like to kind of like third party observe my own thoughts. So like I'll be like, I'm afraid and then like I had like this like I'll I have that fear going on. This might be from like taking too much DMT, but like (laughs) uh I'll have that weird fear going on, but then I'll kind of be able to separate myself and be like, hmm, interesting, Jacob. Why are you afraid of this situation? (laughs) And uh so like that kind of thing though would be fun. And then what you do is to engage people is you allow people to do to, this is the part that, that Carr and all them were making fun of: is you put it up and allow people on the internet to mark different points where they think they see something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where
1: they think they see a ghost. So then you you set up an algorithm to determine like if a certain number of people mark a certain moment in the video, then it, that warrants it going in, and somebody who's serious going in manually looking at it.
0: Right. And I want to say one of the ghost uh, shows did like a live. Uh, episode One Halloween, and they had like something similar to that where people could like text in if yeah. they saw something on one of the cameras. And yeah. uh, that that particular ghost show, I was, I, I would I would sit there and watch, and then like in the back of my mind, I'm like punching holes in everything that they're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it, it's so frustrating.
0: Watching the bathroom, but the bathroom has a window on it that I don't have a camera looking that direction.
1: Yeah. Well, that's always the problem too, is they're like they review the footage and they're like, We saw this. And it's like, yeah, but if you had a second if you had a second camera angle on it, you could easily determine what it was. Yeah.
0: So And I've actually been on ghost hunts before and a lot of those that you know, you're talking weeks of going out to a place, setting up cameras, setting up recorders, you know, and leaving it alone. You don't actually interact with any of the stuff. Right. And then you'll come back and set everything up in a different spot and you'll come out there, you know, when it's raining, when it's not raining, you
1: know, (laughs) try to catch
0: of the environmental variables as you can.
1: Yeah. And I I know there's like, I I listen to this, it's sort of a comedy show called Tell Him Steve Dave, which is part of uh, Kevin Smith's network of podcasts.
0: That was a uh, reference to the uh, characters from Mallrats.
1: Yeah. 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 And it's one of my favorite shows. Probably the podcast I've listened to the longest. And, um, I, I listen to it every time it comes out and they, they've had ghost hunters come on before and they've, and they've gone on some ghost hunts and stuff like that. Yeah. And the the episodes are re- are really funny when they do that, but the, the people who are investigating and they're not like celebrities or anything, they're weird, but they are more serious than the ones that are on TV where they'll be like, well, we don't have a verification of that. You only had one camera. And yeah. And so, and the lady, you know, they'll have like a psychic with them or whatever. And the psychic will be like, well, but I felt it. And so I know that this is true. And they'll be like, yeah, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that it is true, but we don't have verification. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so they'll kind of move on and they're, you know, that's what, that's what amateurs that are serious and truly believe in that kind of stuff. That's what they're going to do. That's not who's going to make it on TV.
0: Yeah. And, uh. Uh, I think with a lot of that, uh, you know, EVPs, it's so subjective.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Because, you know, like I was telling you earlier with the uh, my audio being low for the Eric LaPrice episode, you know, I had to boost all, all the audio up like 40 decibels. And that's basically what you're doing with EVP work. So you're trying to listen to something in the static background.
1: Yeah. Right. And,
0: you know, your mind will fill in gaps where there may not be any.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely audio
0: matrixing so it's it's really you can just like wait was that like a whisper what was that and then you like listen to it about a hundred times and then you determine okay maybe it said i'm here
1: right (laughs) yeah exactly and that's you know that's the thing is people people are hardwired to recognize things like faces and voices and that sort of stuff and it's it's that's why like the the computer aspect of it's very interesting to me where you can get a computer to try to determine if there's a voice but the thing is computers are not very good at facial recognition either because people are programming them right so they'll sometimes like they'll have these you know more rudimentary facial recognition systems that are like recognizing somebody's face in like the 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 configuration of bolts on a wheel or something like that where yeah. where they're like oh i recognize this as a smiley face or a face or whatever and it's like no it's clearly not but when you look at it and it's recognized that you're like, Oh, I kind of see that being a face, but clearly it's a wheel. So. Yeah. yeah, Especially
0: if uh, facial recognition software can be easily uh, defeated when you put weird face paint on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Kind of like uh, the, like in world war two where they just like painted like these odd zebra stripes on the sides of ships, So you couldn't really get an outline of what the ship was.
1: Right. Yeah. It was like, you
0: knew something was there, but you couldn't really identify it.
1: Yeah, Exactly. So, I and mean, that's, that's kind of my ghost thing is like, if, if I was like a ridiculous billionaire or something like that, I would do totally crazy things like this where it's not that I want it to be debunked. It's just that I want it to be done correctly to my satisfaction.
0: Right. You have your standards and.
1: Yeah. Whereas, to- and like when I watch the shows, I'm like, I could do better than this. But I, I have that with a lot of shows where I, I don't know if this is like an ego, like an egotism thing or something, but like a lot of times I see other people doing stuff and I'm like, yeah i think i could do that better
0: yeah uh, hence the reason why we all have podcasts
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like the one thing i don't think i could do better
0: <laughs> I, t- I try i i say i say there's probably like some level of kind of professionalism but i always also kind of want it to sound like i'm recording this in my bedroom
1: because, <laughs> right
0: you know but uh yeah it's it's always funny and um you know, my own ghost experiences. Now, myself, I don't really believe in ghosts at all. I I think that's kind of a, a silly thing. But I've had yeah. some stuff where you just kind of go, okay, okay. I don't really have a ready explanation for that.
1: Yeah. But well, you know, those are the best stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one time I was sitting there and, you know, uh, well, I was when I was a teenager and my dad's sitting there, you know, fussing at me for something. And then all of a sudden, a glass, like, flew out of the sink and hit the wall in front of us. Huh. And my dad just said, uh, I'll talk to you later. And we both kind of just went our separate ways. I, you know, kind of cleaned up the glass and I was like, mm, okay. Can't really, yeah, <laughs> we have an explanation for that. It didn't fall and bounce or anything like that. So I don't know. Yeah. We, we've had some other stuff like strange smells would just fill up the room for no reason. Like the smell of uh, roses.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. And you were just kind of like, okay, but you can definitely almost kind of feel something has changed. And then, yeah. you know, as quickly as you notice it, it goes away type of stuff. So,
1: you know, this is one of the things that like when I was really into psychedelics that we, we sort of like this is one idea that kind of permeates that is that. Uh, so everything that happens in the world around you and this maybe this is going to like Thaddeus Russell uh, postmodernism or whatever. Everything yeah. that happens around you in the world is an interpretation of signals through your senses. And it's then interpreted by your brain or interpreted mm-hmm. by your brain. And um
0: yeah what's the fact on that it's like less than a tenth of a second
1: yeah exactly and also you know when i was getting my motorcycle license we we did a lot of these like trials and stuff like that where you think you're aware of stuff and there's certain points where you can be peripherally aware of it but there's there's no way for you to identify what it is but your brain will try to fill in what it is yeah and so uh, like one of the things that you do is you have these big playing cards and so somebody will sh- stand next to you and they'll, and they'll be pulling the playing card toward you. And, it, and once it gets in front of you, you'll be able to identify, and identify that that's like a, you know, a seven of hearts or whatever, right. but you, you can kind of tell on the side that there's something there. And then at like, you know, 90 degrees, you can kind of tell that it's red and then you can start kind of seeing that, Oh, it's not a face card, And then eventually you can kind of see that it's, it's a seven. Yeah, parts or whatever. And so a lot of that stuff kind of goes into this. And one of the things that happens with uh like psychedelics and, and also I'm like way into lucid dreaming. I've been I've been keeping a dream journal for years and, and doing lucid dreaming practices and stuff like that for probably twelve years.
0: Oh, see, now that's interesting because I can lucid dream and I've never been trained. <laughs>
1: Really. So a lot of people have that. Uh, my sisters are, are like that. They, they, they just wake up in their dreams sometimes and they're, and they're totally lucid. It took me years of work to be able to get it just a couple times a month. And it's, it's amazing. Uh,
0: yeah, for me, it doesn't happen every time, but there's, yeah, there are some instances where I'm like, Oh no, this is a dream. Yeah. And then you can, yeah. just start well,
1: I think it stuff. has to do with what's that.
0: I said, then you can just start controlling things that are going on in the dream. yeah usually about the time when I can start doing that then I'll wake up but it's uh yeah it's always kind of like jarring at first you're like oh no I can't see my hands correctly this is a dream
1: well that and that's one of the dream signs that like I learned to use was is was like what are my hands like and so sometimes like they would like fold together like weave bacon or something like that and I'd be like oh okay yeah I'm dreaming now um when I first started learning how to do it like people would come and visit me and be like hey Jake you're dreaming and (laughs) I'd be like what? And they'd be like, "Look at your hands." And I'd be like, "Oh, oh, yeah, I am dreaming." And then we could do stuff, like yeah. we could talk, we could talk or whatever. But a lot of that stuff. So one of, the, like, what I was getting to though is like in psychedelics and in lucid dreaming and that sort of stuff. When people are like, "Well, it's not real," it's yeah. there. There is there's shared reality that you and I can talk about, and you know, we get into this in politics and things like that. But there's also like you have to also keep in mind that all of that stuff that's going on is interpretations of of stimuli to your brain, and when you're in a psychedelic state or when you're in a dream state, those, those signals are, are just a different type of signal. So to you, it's the same thing to your yeah. brain. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's chemically induced by DMT or, or hallucinogenic mushrooms or it doesn't matter if you're in a REM state and your logical processes in your brain are shut off. It's, it's, all, it's all the same thing. It's your, your brain is getting input in one case it's input from stimuli from external sources in the other case it's it's stimuli from either chemicals or from internal sources, but it's all, it's all brain stimuli. So if you can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not real, then what is the difference? Yeah. And that, and that was like one of those like kind of these woo woo spiritual things or whatever that a lot of like people who are psychonauts or dream explorers and that sort of stuff get is that it's like, well, no, this is a different world and it may be, It may be an internal world. Like I'm not saying one way or the other. It may be an internal world. It's all in your brain, but it doesn't seem that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because it all seems real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can swear that you're reaching out and touching something or you can smell something or. Right. Especially if you have like uh, visual dreams that are in color. Uh, That's the other one that that gets. Most of my dreams are in black and white. Oh, interesting. Uh, Yeah. The moment that I realize I'm dreaming, I'll start getting in those little hues of red and green and stuff. And they'll start coming in right before I wake up. So, hmm. so weird. That's
1: that's interesting. I, I don't think I've ever had a black and white dream. Like my, my, I, I keep a dream journal. So like just because I'm interested in what my sleeping brain is doing, but then I also, when I become lucid, it it's oftentimes it's like, so I have like two dream guides, quote unquote, that are characters that regularly show up and tell me I'm dreaming. Yeah. One is my grandpa who died in the nineties, uh, 98. Uh, and he shows up and what's cool is when he shows up, he and I like, I'm like, yeah, I don't really care what's going on in the rest of the dream. You and I are just going to talk. Right. And like, I remember like being really sad in the one of the first dreams that he showed up in and, and told me, uh, and I was like, yeah, but you're not real. And he's like, yeah, but if you can't tell the difference, then what is the difference? That's yeah. kind of where I started getting it from. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, I just want to talk to my grandpa. And so that was like a cool thing. But then, uh, the other, the other, dream guide or whatever is this this teenager named two gun who shows up and like it's a weird a weird name but his name's two gun yeah and he just a strange name yeah yeah but that's his name all the time and and but he doesn't always look exactly the same he's usually a teenager but he he comes in or whatever like i remember the first time he showed up is he was a cameraman i was in this dream where we were filming like a reality show of this asian family that was like fighting okay and, and and then like something happened and I was like, this is weird. This, I, I don't work on a film set. Like I'm not, I don't do this sort of stuff. And then why like, I <laughs> yeah, why, yeah, exactly. Why, why would I be here? And two gun is the dude filming. And he turns over to me and goes, Shh, they don't know that you're dreaming.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> and, and like, but you know, but you know, I'm dreaming. And he's like, he's like, yeah, that's why I'm here. Just go outside and I'll come and talk to you later. So he keeps filming this like Asian family fighting and I go out, like, I go out a sliding door and, and he comes out and he's like, he's like, yeah, this is a dream. I'm, I'm going to help you out. Uh, so just stay calm because if you get excited, you'll wake up. <laughs> okay. And, good advice. and he, Yeah. It's good advice. And he gives me a backpack and inside the backpack are things that are supposedly going to help me while I'm dreaming. So hmm, there was like, okay. there's like cell, like cellophane wrap in there, which was a, a weird thing. And I was like, well, I don't know what this is for, but he's like, yeah, but if you wrap something that's, that'll spoil in the cellophane wrap, you can put it in your backpack and it'll last longer. And then you can pick it back up the next dream. Okay. And so yeah, it was really weird stuff. And there's like crayons. So you could like write down notes on these pieces of paper that were in there as well, like construction paper. And so like, like this is the, this is the physics or whatever of my dream is that like, I get there, I've got this dream pack, which is like a backpack. And it's got like cellophane wrap that if like, I'm like, oh, this is important. I can like wrap it up in cellophane and put it in the backpack. And then when I get back into the dream and I'm lucid again, I can pull it out. Right. And, and, and kind of like get back into whatever was important about that. It's very weird. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, Anytime I've ever lucid dreamed, I don't have like a guide or anything. It just kind of, I'll kind of notice something was off and yeah either look down at my hands or i'll try to read something and like all of the characters are just kind of gibberish and i can't read anything and then i'll just like oh no this is a dream and then i'll just kind of do whatever
1: well both of both of those like in the in the uh dream world like dream dream like whatever they call uh, they call them onironauts um the people who explore their dreams those are both really common uh things that you can use for dream signs. So like what, another one is like flipping the light switches on and off in a dream. If you think you might be dreaming, flip the light switches on and off because either the light turning on or off will be delayed or it'll have a different effect. Like it'll turn it from black and white to color or vice versa. Hmm, uh, so like things like that, trying to read digital clocks is a common one because if you look over at a digital clock in a dream, a lot of times it, it's gibberish. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, same thing with reading a book. If you read it and, and, and you know what the book says, but the letters are gibberish, then like that's one thing too. And, and looking at your hands is a common one. Also trying to plug your nose in the dream and blow because if you plug your nose and blow in a dream, you'll still be able to blow out. Um, Weird. Typically, Weird. not always, but typically. So like those are, those are things. I think that I got the dream guide stuff. I think that, that's a subconscious thing because I was reading a lot of Jung at the time. And uh, Jung had this dream guide in the Red Book called Philemon. And uh, Philemon came and told him stuff and taught him how to lucid dream. So I think that was like kind of on my mind. So I I was open to the idea of having like a, another aspect of myself come and tell me what to do. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how I got into it. And then it just sort of stuck because I still see two gun a lot. I don't see my grandpa as much as I used to, but two gun does show up and he's not always the same person. And then I have another character that shows up pretty frequently too. And uh, his name's like the, uh, the adversary or the, he's a bad guy, basically. He's oh. he's And he always comes and tries to convince me that I'm dreaming or not, not dreaming that this is reality. So yeah. then I'll, so like, then I'll lose, lose my lucidity and go back into dreaming.
0: Or like try to spark a nightmare or something.
1: No, I don't, the nightmares don't, that doesn't upset me because I like nightmares. I think they're interesting. <laughs> um, I've also had like, I've also, when I started like really hardcore working on like dream stuff, I also would get um sleep paralysis occasionally. And,
0: Oh, that's never fun.
1: Oh God, I hate that. It's not, it's not fun, but I always found it so interesting. And, and, I, and I think I have that aspect of myself where I can kind of like separate myself a little bit from my fear emotions. And I would see like, I, re- I remember the very first time it happened, I had, I had also been reading a lot about it. And I was on my side and this is when I used to live in Virginia Beach. And I was looking at the bathroom in my bedroom mm-hmm. and I woke up and I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I, I, it was very difficult. And I saw somebody in like a hoodie standing in the bathroom with red glowing eyes staring at me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I, and I was like, this is terrifying. But then there was also the part of me who's going like, Oh, I know what this is. This is sleep paralysis. Yeah. This is fascinating. Yeah. But like, there's like two of me going like, no, this is really scary. <laughs> and, and now I get it. I get it differently nowadays where I'll wake up and there'll be a dream aspect of this, you know, scary hooded figure, or whatever, trying to get my wife. Mm. And, and the only thing I can do is breathe. So I'll be trying to like breathe heavy yeah. to wake her up, but I can't. Yeah, And, and that's, that's more scary, but it's also kind of the same thing where for the first couple of seconds or whatever, I'll be like, Oh my God, this is awful. Like why can't I move or anything like that? And then I'll be like, Oh, wait, 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 no, this is not real. This is, or it's, it is, it's real as far as my brain goes, but this is sleep paralysis. And and then I'll have that kind of moment of clarity where I'll be like, well, I can, I can kind of observe what's going on here for a minute. It's terrifying, but it's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Every time I've gotten sleep paralysis, like you'll see a, a figure. I I will see a completely different room. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so like, there's the, the moment of, I don't know where I am and I can't move.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, so really, that it's, it's yeah. always terrifying.
0: Cause I'm like, wait, yeah. who's, whose bed is this? Where am I? Uh, and then, you know, after a few minutes, I can like then start to move around and then I'll, I'll either wake up or I'll fall back asleep. One of the two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it.
0: always a different room. Like, right. It's on a completely different wall. You know, the windows aren't in the right place. Yeah. It's so bizarre. I, I hate it every time it happens.
1: <laughs> it, it is weird. It is weird. I, but I, you know, I like weird stuff. So, yeah.
0: And then I also get the ringing in my ears. Like it's oh, not really? the lightest. Like it, like builds. It starts off, uh, kind of like, uh, almost like a slow little whisper type whistle, and then yeah. it'll get really, really loud. And then I'll either wake up or be able to start moving again. So huh. yeah, it's so it's so bizarre. I hate it every time it happens. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, probably the ringing would hurt would be more irritating to me than any of like the dark figures or anything like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I think I also just found the uh, the name of the episode. I like nightmares with Jacob Lindsay.
1: Oh. <laughs> is that what it's called <laughs> oh, oh this episode oh yeah. <laughs> I might
0: do, yeah i just might just uh name the episode that because oh, yeah. I,
1: I do actually I've i've got like my dream journal a lot of them are nightmares because those are the ones that stick with you more yeah and and they to me they seem more telling because if you're if you're really stressed out while you're sleeping something's not right in your waking life yeah and uh and so like you can kind of like observe that and go like, okay, well, what is this? What's going on? Like, I don't believe in like the standard interpretation of dreams where you get like a book and you're like, if you see John Bolton with a thick mustache, you know, then you're worried about this thing or whatever. It's like, and nah, now I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in interpretation like that. I go for, there's more of a, there's a one, two, three, there's a book called like one, two, three awake or something like that where, and he goes through the interpretation of using the context of the dream, but also the emotional application of what was going on in the dream. So if yeah. you see, you know, if you see John Bolton with a mustache and you're like in love with him, that means <laughs> something completely different than if you see John Bolton with a mustache and you hate him. Yeah. So it, it, just because he's got a mustache doesn't mean anything in particular. It The context of what's going on and the emotional, the feelings that you have in the moment, that's what matters.
0: Hmm. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, because I've I often thought that dreams were just basically the brain is compiling information. And so it's just throwing random bits out there for you to look at.
1: Well, there's, there is one. I mean, there's, there's some, like one of the things that they've done a lot with like sleep research and stuff like that is that if you, like let's say that you play a video game all day long. And then at night, you may not necessarily dream exactly about that video game, but a lot of the stuff that goes on in the dream uh, will be reinforcing the skills that you need in that video game.
0: Yeah. The
1: themes will. Yeah. Yeah. The themes will be there and stuff like that. And then when you wake up the next day, you'll be slightly better at that video game. And this is why, you know, a lot of times when people, the the saying, when people say, well, why don't you sleep on it? You know, they, that is, there's some truth to that is that your brain does have to do, I mean, it's like defragging or something like that. It it does have to move. It has to move stuff around and compile it and kind of go like, make some sense of it create some new, new neural pathways and heal from whatever the heck it's doing to itself. And that is going, that does, there is part of that and it is sending a lot of kind of wild signals at that time. And then your brain may compile that into a story, but the, the added aspect of it, of be able, like being able to become lucid and and turning those logical processes back on. And then there being some sort of message in there to me is where it kind of gets woo woo. So it's like, yeah, I don't. One of the things my old roommate and I used to try to do, and we never, we were never successful at it. But you hear this all the time: is uh, we used to try to like get into each other's dreams.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, that's my uh, younger brother and I tried doing that a few times. It's, yeah. So <laughs> we
1: we had success to it, but well, we had a third party. Our my buddy Fred, Federale is. We would we would
0: his name would, was Federale.
1: His last name. His last name is Federale. Oh, okay. His first name is Mike. But um, it, we would he would give us both like code words individually and he'd be like, okay, share this word in your dreams and then you'll know if you were really there and it, it never worked. But yeah, uh, there, there's been a lot of projects and stuff like that where they do it. And there's also like some really interesting projects where they try to do sort of like uh combined dreaming and like things, but there's this other pretty neat theory, which I, I think I put a little bit more stock in it. And it's where um it's called um, spontaneous, spontaneous synchronization. And it's, it's this thing that, it's also like a lot of people talk about it and they call it like morphic fields and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's where like in like the, the really famous example of it is um, in Scotland. I, th- I think it was Scotland. I, I may totally be getting the countries wrong, but there was like in Scotland one day, you know what a cattle gate is?
0: Um, I guess based off of the word, it has to be a gate for cattle. But
1: Yeah, it's it's for livestock, but it's like it's basically you don't have to have like a door that closes. It's basically it's the way that you build the like a little bridge. The cattle don't like stepping on it, so they. Oh yeah, on.
0: yeah, yeah. You'll see that in Texas. It's basically made of like yeah. ropes on the ground, and the cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cows don't yeah. want to step on it because they're right stepping into a hole. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Exactly. So there's these cattle gates, and in Scotland, the sheep discovered that it could lay down on one side of the cattle gate and roll over and get to the other side. And mm. then could go and graze on that side and then and then at almost the exact same time when people are starting to report this in in Scotland for the very first time, sheep were starting to do it in um, australia
0: so kind of like a hundredth monkey uh, theory, but plain. yeah it,
1: it's very much like the hundredth monkey theory it, It's it's yeah. that, it's that like these things do happen occasionally and they say it's morphic fields, so it's like same thing with like the invention of the telephone is you have these a, a, it's accumulation of events and experience over time and wh- how long these things have been used and in practice. And then eventually two people simultaneously will r- arrive at the exact same invention. So when, yeah. when Alexander remember,
0: Graham, yeah, discovery uh, of electricity was like that. Yeah, some, exactly.
1: Well, when, well, when Alexander Graham Bell made that first phone call, something like three days later, this Italian dude did the same thing with almost the yeah. exact same equipment.
0: Yeah. It might've been Marconi or was he the radio? Yeah.
1: Uh, it might've been, I'm not, I don't remember who it was, but it was, it was some Italian dude. Yeah. So Marconi sounds right. <laughs> so, yes. so with this, this sort of spontaneous synchronization or this morphic field type of thing is that through various experiences that people are having over a certain amount of time, you may share a dream that is like 90% similar with somebody else that's in your life. And, and then when you, when you eat, talk about it to each other because memory is really malleable. And this is why like uh, eyewitness accounts are not really, they shouldn't be admissible in court. Sometimes yeah, they, they,
0: they, they change even minutes after they witnessed an, an event.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So like when two people who had dreams that were similar, talk about the dreams, they will start lining their dreams up and, and then they'll be convinced that they had the same dream. Yeah. And that's why the, the only way to tell if they were, shared dreams and the same dreams you have to have a third party where each person individually tells the third party the dream the third party can't interject anything at all they just have to write it down and then you have to compare the accounts and go like okay yeah i mean this these are similar accounts but they're clearly not the same account right and uh and, and that's the thing too is like when when you start doing like dream recording and stuff like that like i do with on uh what by writing them down and stuff it's um you have to do it immediately or the dream starts to change. And as you think about it throughout the day, you start filling in gaps too. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's hard to identify what you actually dream because the visuals are there in your mind when you're trying to recall it. Yeah, you may
0: not have the words to to describe it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So like, so a lot of times, ta- a lot of what a lot of people will do is they'll wake up, they'll grab their phone and they'll record it verbally. And I used to do that, but like most of my recordings end up being like, And I, and like, I I was like, I don't don't know what I'm saying in this. I could, I could make out maybe three words from it, but I would all, I do writing down. I, I, I also, I built, I made it like, this is my, like my favorite invention or whatever of myself is. I took like a a led light and I put it into a pen so that the pen would turn, the light would turn on red so that it wouldn't mess up my, uh, yeah, your night vision or whatever, my night vision. So I could write on the paper without turning on a light. And like that worked pretty well, but then like I'd wake up in the morning and like I'd have stuff like written on top of other stuff. So like deciphering it was very difficult, <laughs> but like it, it works a little bit better than the recording. So like, cause I can kind of like divide it up a little bit, but I don't know. It's a, it's a fun thing. It's one of those, one of the many things that I'm interested in. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Dreams are always, always kind of fun. And I didn't have to Joe Rogan you uh, about the DMT, so it's all good. So.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I have done a lot of DMT, so <laughs>
0: I've only done it the one time. And the first time I, you know, saw the little clockwork elf and you know, that was, that was enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I did it. I did it like every day for a month. And then they told me don't come back. And I was like, hmm, I okay. think I'm done. All right. <laughs> I think I'm done. But it was like one of those things where I, I was actually listening to Rogan <laughs> and so he mentioned in there that you can make it. And I was like, what? Oh I yeah. Got, I've got to make this. And so like the next day I'm making it and calling Mason up and being like, I'm making this. We're going to, we're going to go on these DMT trips and stuff like that. And I can just uh, see Mason. Uh, Well, that would, that would not be very good. Yeah. He was, he used to be way more into psychedelics than me, but really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have paid Mason for that. Oh yeah. 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 He was, I mean, when I first moved, I think it was like the first week I I moved into a place outside my parents. He came to us with this proposition for a mushroom grow (laughs) uh, that a friend of his was doing. And, yeah, we'd been drinking and probably smoking too. So, uh, and my roommate had just paid me rent,
0: you know, as you do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, so he was like, all we need is like 400 bucks. So I was like, Oh, that's the exact amount that my roommate just paid me for rent. Boom. Here it is. (laughs) And then we, we never saw any of those mushrooms, (laughs) but
0: yeah, I got a friend uh, that uh, started growing mushrooms and I was like, uh, yeah, I'd like to get in on that. And then uh, he had a girlfriend who stole it all from him. So
1: that, that was actually very similar to this story, except it was vice versa. It was a girl and her boyfriend stole oh, it all. Stole it all. Yeah. Yeah. So very <laughs> similar story though. So, yeah.
0: That, that's funny. All right. So um, you also had mentioned a uh, clone on the range. Did I get that title? Right.
1: That's right. Yep. <laughs> so clone on the range is, so I've got, I, I have like a ton of ideas for the stories Uh that, and I think this would be a good, a good, like libertarian, like web series. And it's basically, it's like this stoner guy who thinks he's going to a sperm bank to donate sperm because he's like out of money. Yeah. And, but then it turns out,
0: if he can pull it off, you know,
1: Yeah exactly, exactly. So he goes there and then it turns out that it's a government cloning facility. Nice. And, and he doesn't really understand what a clone is because he's just, he's a burnout. Yeah. And he thinks that means that they're going to make him his best friend. Okay, And so he comes back at night and he breaks his clone that has been grown over, over the course of a day. He breaks his clone out of the cloning facility and the clone's like, well, no, I, I kind of like it here actually. And he's like, no, no, we got to get you out of here. And so they go on, they go on the run and they end up in Wyoming and in a, like a small town where they have to like rent a, they have to rent a like a weird off the grid home from like some like super racist guy. And who's just like over the top, ridiculously racist. And, uh, and they have to convince most of the town that they're just twins, but yeah. the, but the, the guy who owns the, the house that they rent is, uh, also like a big bootlicker. So he's always <laughs> like trying to turn people into the government, like uh, Mexicans and stuff like that. And he, and he suspects that they're Mexicans for a while, but they're just like reg like very clearly white guys. Yeah. And, uh, and then, like, the, the FBI comes through, and they're like, we're looking for these two people who look alike or whatever. And he's like, people who look alike? Well, I know them. No, no. He goes, there ain't nobody who looks alike around here. And so the feds move on, and the guy, and the, like the brother or the clone and, and the guy are like, oh, thank you for, like, not turning us in. He's like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, clearly we're twins, right? And, and he's like, you look nothing alike. So it's like, it's, it's very clear that he can't tell race. He can't tell what people look like. He can't tell any of these things. He's just a kook.
0: Oh, so face blind on top of everything else.
1: Right, right. Exactly. And then there's like, there's some, uh, I I figured like we either, like some dude would play the, the clone and the regular guy and they, we just use camera tricks to to film it or whatever. And then there would be twins in town that are girls, but it's just clearly them in, in wigs. Yeah. So, So like things like that, where it would be just that that's just the gist of the story is it's like the misadventures of two people trying to avoid the government because one of them is a government created clone and the other is like a hippie burnout
0: nice <laughs> you know we could probably do that in audio format and just uh, <laughs>
1: probably, probably.
0: <laughs> have a bunch of us read lines and everything yeah 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 that'd be great yeah i'm kind of uh, kind of similar i uh, start books and i'll usually get about five or six chapters in and then stop writing
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that I'm actually I'm working on a the great libertarian sci-fi novel which is sort of the same thing as like I am a couple of chapters in and I, and then I'm like I don't like this as much as I thought I would and then like restart and do something different. Yeah. So actually I, I think it's a better story. I'll share it if anybody ever wants to steal it from me, that's fine. Yeah. Um but it's uh so the idea is it's called the UBI. Okay. And it's it's a uh, universal basic immortality.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So
1: so in the future, the government figures out how to, like, upload your consciousness to a server, basically. Okay. And because they've nationalized healthcare and it's become too expensive, they start just exterminating people early. Of course they do. <laughs> and, and uploading their consciousness to the UBI server. And uh, the UBI server originally was a nice place, but because the government's the government, they needed it for, like, tax calculation and these other things. So they started putting higher loads on the server. Yeah. And, and the AI in the server realized that it could take human consciousness and reprocess it and, may, and add it as additional processing power. And so inside the, the simulation in the UBI environment, it has gone from being a, a simulation of like a heavenly afterlife to a, a hellscape where you're processed to become part of the server. Oh, nice. So that's like the, gist, that's the, that's the basic outline.
0: You know, one um, of these
1: days I'll write it.
0: <laughs> I think Chris Carter already kind of stole that. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, one of the recent uh, episodes of the X Files. You know, they had like season eleven and twelve.
1: I've I've only seen eleven.
0: Yeah, so but... this last one, one of the lone gunmen. Um,
1: oh, I did see that one. Yeah,
0: I forgot his, about that. yeah, his consciousness was uploaded to a computer, and he was like, "Yeah, man, they used to have like you know the Ramones concert, and we do the the mosh pit around the outside and." You know, now we're just working in an office building.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's sort of like what, I, that, that's sort of part of the idea too with this is that it's, it's what would collective consciousness make? And it's, it's sort of, you've got, first of all, you've got an artificial intelligence, but the, with the artificial intelligence, it's, it's designed to make your afterlife heavenly. So once it starts interpreting your desires is, do people actually want a heavenly existence? Or do people yeah. really like to struggle? You know, it's like one of those kind of questions. Mm.
0: So I may insert the. Uh, when,
1: you know, when you have like religious people who don't want to go into this UBI, yeah. so are, already they're like, "You're denying me like the true afterlife." Right. And so it becomes their fear.
0: Yeah, I had a, a similar story where there was like some kind of rebellion, and uh, the the people that should not be in charge of anything, you know, real evil people, you know, they catch this rebel commander. And they say, death and the afterlife are too good for you. We're going to keep you in suspended animation until a time where we'll release you. And so it was like 400 years later, after this whole rebellion had died out, the people who were in charge basically ran the place into the ground. And, you know, humans sprung up kind of like in a new renaissance. And they find this guy and they thaw him out and they kind of fill him in on what happened in the last 400 years.
1: Wow. That's actually, that's a pretty good story. Yeah. (laughs) I like that.
0: Yeah. So that one, I, I think I actually got to 10 chapters and then I was like, eh, all right.
1: Yeah. That's that. You know, and this is the thing is like, I've been trying to tell myself this last couple of days or whatever is that there's like, there, people always talk about having a habit yeah, and, and the habit is not really what's going to get you to do what you want to do. You have to have a discipline to do it. And it's so easy to let other stuff kind of come in and you have to kind of decide what do you truly want and sort of put that other stuff to the side. And that's how we'll transition and talking about Childerberg, <laughs> because that, because I've actually, I got to go here in a, in a couple of minutes, but um, okay. I do, I do kind of want to talk about Childerberg. You were at the first one, which uh, was awesome. Yes. And, and this uh, Childerberg dose, which is coming up on uh, May 23rd and 26th of 2020 at Emma Long Metro park in Austin, Texas is going to be, it's going to be just as good because all the same people are going to be there, but it's also going to be better because more people are going to be there and we're going to have more stuff going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, right now I'm designing the, uh, the side panel for the, uh, the chill dozer, which I'm calling uh, the yeah, bus. Yeah, that's going uh, to take people back and forth to the, uh, to the convention.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great idea because I think that people, that'll be recognizable and a lot of people will, will kind of want to come. And I noticed too, there's a lot of people, the chatter going around online is that there's a lot of people who are, who are kind of interested in, in the LNC, but they're not so interested that they want to be there the entire time. Right. And there are a lot of cool things going on there. So if you guys, if, if any listeners are, I want to go to the LNC, it, it's not all day long and there are, you know, we're going to be running the, the Childeberg van, the Childozer, to come and pick people up and bring them back to the Childeberg thing. So if you want to kind of save money and come hang out with us at night, uh, right. the, you know, as it was last time, the campsites are free, uh, of course, we encourage donations and t shirts purchases, so that that helps us cover all that but uh it's it 's going to just be a really great time we 've got a lot of really cool stuff going on there 's going to be some live music there 's going to be some stand up comedy uh, We have a couple of people who want to talk to do, like give talks like one guy wants to give talks on medical tourism oh, so'll okay. be they 'll just be kind of like cool stuff going on everybody 's free to do whatever they want it 's going to be you know do you know anarcho forco?
0: Uh, that's the big thing up in, uh, oh no, that was the Acapulco. Cause I know there was also a, uh, uh a pork fest, um, fork as well, whether they like, had set up.
1: Well, this, of- this one was a, this was an anarcho-poco fork. Yeah. Called the anarcho Forco. And I've been thinking about like trying to figure out how to do this, maybe for the third Childeberg or whatever they had like this. I thought this was a really cool idea, which is you're allowed to put on whatever sort of event or show you want as long as there's enough slots available. And as long as you have a ticket. Yeah. And like, that's a great way to just, to sort of take some of the planning burden off of me. Um, like, obviously I I like to plan a lot of this stuff and it's been a blast to try to get things going. Right. Uh, But there's also like people, they'll be like, Hey, can we do this? Hey, can we do this? And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that kind of thing, but can you plan it? And, and like figure out a time to put it on and figure out all that sort of stuff, because I've got my hands full with these other things. So I think that's a really cool idea. We might try to do that for the next one. But i mean, this is a, just a really great opportunity if you're in the, I mean, anywhere within driving distance, or if you want to fly out like Mason and um, Rolo did, uh, yeah. or like, or drive down from Chicago or drive down from North Dakota. And yeah, really. like, we've got all these people driving from long distances. This is just a great place to kind of make a network like I I'd never met you before I was aware of your podcast, but Uh, i had never met you in person. So it was kind of cool to meet you in person. There was a lot of people there that, again, I was aware of their podcast. I was aware that they existed and I interact with them on Twitter and stuff like that. But this is something that's really important to me is, um, making friends is, it's kind of like, you know, this is sort of like the introvert does this, or this is the type of introvert I am is like, I'm very, very introverted. So I try to create a situation where I have some sort of control so that like, it's a comfortable situation for me. Yeah. And, and make it into a situation where i go like, if I was at this, if I was at this event and I, and I'm the way I am, would I be comfortable here? And, and that's I think kind of what Childeberg has become. It's become just sort of like just a, a chill out event. Like there's a lot of, you can go and do all these political things and do a lot of political activism and that kind of thing. And it's just not, it's not comfortable for people who are not used to that kind of thing. And sometimes also, even if you are really into the political stuff, it's nice to just take a couple of days and chill out and be around people that are like you. Cause yeah. you know, quite frankly, people that think like us are freaks in this world and you got to be around your own type of freaks sometimes.
0: Yeah. So like the, the first one, I mean, we got into several different conversations and you know, people would just like, you know, tap out of a conversation, go start another one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah.
0: Know, I can see that it's going to happen in the second one. I think the oh, second absolutely. one says it's going to be, uh, I, I, I really think it's probably going to be double the amount that we had. Uh, and-
1: I think, yeah, I mean, I, there's so many people who are kind of jumping on board at this point. I'm planning to be safe for 200. So if, wow. if I, I don't know for sure that it'll get to that, but I'm just to be safe. I want to have, you know, I, I was planning for something like I think 45 or 50 at the first one. Yeah. Or, or no, I think I had enough spaces for everybody to have just one other person in their camp space up to 36. Yeah. And then, but then like when I got there and saw the the space and looked at it online, I was like, yeah, we're, we've got plenty of space.
0: Yeah. There was plenty of room, even with the, what was it like 20 or 30 people that were there? I mean, yeah, it was thirty thirty
1: five 30, 35 people total. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, if you count the baby, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I, I'm thinking I'm, I'm planning for 200 if 200 show up. Awesome. If more than 200 show up, it might be tight, but we'll be able to fit it. Uh, cause I've got, and I think this is very fitting because it's reminiscent of Bohemian Grove. The campsite section that we have is called The Grove. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that, I think that'll be cool. And then we spilled over. We got the sand volleyball court in our section. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, like a buoyed beach very nearby that if you have kids, you can bring them down to the buoyed beach and go swimming. There's some really nice hiking trails if you want to do hiking. Of course, there's going to be drinking and eating and, and idea sharing and stuff like that. But like I and I and like I said, we're going to be doing some stand-up comedy and we're going to be doing some live music. So yeah, uh, look forward to all that.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, then I definitely plan on doing a set of stand-up.
1: So. Oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're more than invited. Yeah.
0: So uh, we had one question from uh, Bobby Joe Woods: Is there going to be any teetotalers there?
1: Uh, yeah, there will be some. Well, if my wife comes, there'll be at least one. I, I also believe that there is going to be a pregnant woman there and so she will not be allowed to drink at that time. Yeah. Um, or she, she will take responsibility for herself and choose not to drink at that time. So, (laughs) uh, so there's at least two, I'm sure there will be more. There's, there's a couple of people that I know are coming that are kind of more quote unquote normies. And I don't, I don't know if they drink or not. Uh, I, I, if, if they do probably not heavily.
0: Yeah. Maybe like a few beers or whatever.
1: But yeah, but you know what, if you're not a drinker and you want to come, it's always fun to see other people yeah. getting drunk and making fools of themselves. So yeah, come I and think, see the spectacle.
0: Yeah. I think it's going to be great no matter what. So yeah, I think so too. And I'm going to be one of those uh, poor saps that's going to go like back and forth all the time. So I,
1: I, I, I would like to, if I wasn't running the event, cause I am kind of curious. Uh, I was supposed to be a delegate in 2012 and I ended up not being a delegate. Uh, Uh, I was a
0: delegate for 2018. And so I didn't get to see all the side stuff that was going on. Yeah. And so this time I'm planning on not being a delegate. So I can kind of check out some of the, you know, the side talks because there's usually a lot of interesting stuff that goes on.
1: Yeah. And and there'll be be a lot of podcasters and stuff there. Actually, if you, uh, you should, if you have like a portable recorder, or if you want to borrow my portable portable recorder, it might be kind of cool for you to go around and get like little clips from people that are going to be there. That'd be kind of cool.
0: Yeah. I'm going to see if I can get like a portable recorder or I'll just do like I did with the first one. I'll just bring all of my recording gear since it's pretty light and packable anyways. Yeah.
1: yeah. That, that was actually really cool. That episode that you did with Mr. Sue turned out really well.
0: Yeah. It was pretty fun. And Anna Adams coming up behind me with a, <laughs> a ranting. Yeah. That was great.
1: Yeah, that was, it was very good.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I think we'll uh, cut it there. Thanks Jake for being on. And,
1: Absolutely.
0: and we'll catch you around on Schilderberg. And of course, listen to uh, his podcast, tasting anarchy with uh, Mason And also uh, check him out online on Twitter at Tasting Anarchy. And uh, he also runs the at Childerberg account as well. Maybe Dark Tom Woods or is that somebody else?
1: That's somebody else. I have no idea who does that, but it's a great account. So follow it anyways.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The plot thickens. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Jake, take it easy. We'll see you around, buddy.
1: All right, take it easy, man. All right.